Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today on the show, I'm talking with Conrad Hathen and we're talking about how to make money with geospatial content. So Conrad has a day job. He is a hydrologist for the US Geological Survey, but he also has a side hustle. And his side hustle is he is a geospatial content creator. He is a YouTuber. He is a blogger. And he also creates and sells geospatial courses. And today on the podcast, you're going to learn how he does it, how he got started, how these different forms of geospatial content make money for him. And maybe you'll learn how you could do the same thing. So I've been working online for a couple of years now. And this story with Conrad, I've been wanting to tell it for quite some time. And after recording this episode with Conrad, we got talking and we decided to try and help people out. So if you listen to this episode and you get inspired and think, hey, I would like to learn how to do some of this stuff, there'll be a link in the show notes. If you follow that link, you can sign up to a webinar that Conrad and I will host. We will teach you how to do some of this stuff. So this is a little bit of an experiment for us. We haven't tried it before, but we'd like to try it with you. If we get enough people signed up, if there's enough interest, myself and Conrad will run a webinar teaching you how to create geospatial content online and hopefully make some money doing it. So if that's something you might be interested in, check out the show notes of this episode. There'll be a link there. Follow the link, sign up. If we get enough people, we will do the webinar. Hey, Conrad, welcome to the podcast. I am, I'm really pleased that you could join me today. And this is an episode I've been wanting to make for a long time, just to give the audience a bit of context. The thing we're going to be talking about today is this idea of geospatial content creation. And you, you have built a successful side hustle around this in a variety of different ways. So this is the aim of the, the podcast of this episode is to break that down for the listeners and maybe explain how they could do the same as well. Before we get into all that great stuff, would you mind just introducing yourself to the audience, please? And perhaps explaining like how you got involved in geospatial? I got started in geospatial in university. I was studying wildlife science and was looking for a minor to add to my studies and asked my academic advisor what he thought would be good. And he suggested GIS because when you're working with animals, they, you know, you have their habitat and their movements that, that are all spatial in nature. And so I took some courses and really enjoyed them and really got into GIS. And that got me into, you know, taking a couple of computer science courses. And the thing that really got me going is after I finished my undergraduate degree, I started working more in the watershed science, water resources side of natural resources, and was basically asked for work to program a geospatial model in C++, which I was not very familiar with. And so that year was a big learning experience as far as learning how to program GIS. And it's kind of in, in learning those things that I started the side hustle as far as teaching GIS. If you don't mind me asking, what is your you know, title? Because we're going to be talking about your side hustle in just a minute. But what, what is your day job now? What do you do? Yeah, so right now I'm a hydrologist for the U.S. Geological Survey. And that's, you know, that's my day job. And then my, my other job is the side hustle. Right. So, so let's talk about the side hustle. What, what is your side hustle? I, my understanding is that there's two parts to this, at least, or two money-making parts anyway. Yeah, and, and maybe in some ways there's even three parts. So the first is is YouTube, where I post tutorials on, you know, geospatial and open source programming. And I've been doing that for, you know, for a number of years. The kind of the second part, or maybe the main part is actually my website, opensourceoptions.com, where it's kind of the same as the YouTube channel. I post written tutorials about geospatial and about programming. And those two kind of link up nicely where you have, you know, YouTube with the video content, and then you can, you can copy and paste code from the website or read through it 
if you don't want to watch a video. And then the third is a, a course website where I sell courses that go more in depth and have more supplementary materials. That's mostly for geospatial. Okay. And are all three of those things, are they all you know, generating revenue for you today? Yeah, to, to some degree, they all are. Okay. Could you, could you explain, could we start with YouTube? Explain how that makes money for you today. Yeah. So YouTube is all based on views and view time. And if you're not familiar with the YouTube partner program, there's some require, basic requirements to get started. You have to have a certain number of subscribers and a certain number of watch time. And once you get to that, you have the option to monetize your channel with ads. And it's really easy to do. You, you click a button and then YouTube handles all the ad serving. And in exchange for that, they take 45% of the revenue and you get to keep 55% of the ad revenue. And so that's, that's how YouTube works. It's easy to get started, but there is the hurdle of, of needing to build up a viewer base before you can actually monetize. Before we move on to your website, can we stay with YouTube just for a second here? I think you mentioned at the start you were teaching GIS on, on your YouTube channel. What, like, give us an idea of the kinds of videos that you're creating, perhaps how many have you got, and uh, the, the kind of revenue that YouTube can generate for you in terms of ads. So I think I have over 300 videos on there right now. They cover a wide range of topics. I mean, it ranges from the basics of QGIS to how to install certain Python packages for GIS that are, are often difficult to install to, you know, the intricacies of remote sensing with Python and performing image segmentation and classification. So it covers quite a broader array going from beginner to advanced. It's all a little bit disorganized. Like I said, there's, there's over 300 videos there now. As far as revenue, between $200 and $300 a month is kind, of, is kind of the average. And that's getting, you know, on the order of 70,000 views a month. Wow. Wow. Okay. So let's move on to the website now. So we talked about YouTube. A brief overview of that. I really appreciate it. The website. You've got two websites. Let's start with open source options. What is that and how does that make money for you? So open source options is kind of the the written mirror to the, to the video content on my YouTube channel. It's mostly tutorials, relatively short, that just describe how to perform programming tasks or geospatial tasks. And once again, the, the revenue from that comes from advertising. And so with these websites, as you kind of write the content, when advertisers see that there are people visiting your website, you know, they're willing to pay to post advertisements there where they can get it in front of people. And I do this through an ad agency called Ezoic. There's a lot of different ones out there. You know, there's like Mediavine and AdThrive or some other well-known ones. But you, you manage kind of everything through them and they, they serve ads on your website and then you pay them a fee for, for doing so. With the website, I actually make quite a bit more than on YouTube because I keep a higher percentage of the revenue and I also get more views on the website than on YouTube. So I'm making estimate $800 a month on average on the website with, you know, probably 90 to 100,000 views on that content each month. And the impetus behind the website was really to give people a place where they could, that was more code friendly than YouTube. With YouTube, there's no way to copy code. You're kind of stuck following along and looking at the screen. And if I scroll away from the code, then you can't see it anymore. And so I wanted to have a place where if you, you know, saw the video tutorial or we're just searching for something, you could have access to that code and be able to dissect it in a better way than, than you could with video content. Okay, so, so that, make, that makes a, a lot of sense why you'd want those two different places. Also, I can see it's a significant revenue earner for you. 
do YouTube and this website, Open Source Options, they work together. Do you see what's hitting on YouTube and, and create the, the written version of that on your website and, and perhaps vice versa in terms of creating videos? Like, and do they link to each other? Are, are these sources of traffic that can drive traffic to each other? Uh, yes, they are. I haven't done the greatest job of linking my website back to YouTube, but YouTube links back to the website, especially for about you know the last year or two. I guess initially it started out that I, when I started the website, I kind of chose the videos that were hitting on YouTube and real articles about them first. And now it's actually kind of gone the other way where I write an article and then record a YouTube video about it and, and link back. And the reason for that is that by the time I've written an article, I have a really good understanding on a subject and I have a code base to go from. And it makes recording a video really seamless. Um, I don't have to go and you know, take breaks because I've, you know, messed up and had an error and forgot something. Um, I've worked through all that when I've created, you know, the blog post or the article on the website. And so I can go back to YouTube and just create a really, a really concise, easy video. Okay. So we're going to come back to all these things again later on, but for now, um, I'm curious about this next website. So you've got this course website and where you sell online courses. Could you tell us about that, please? Um, what kind of courses do you sell and the revenue that it generates on a monthly basis? The course's website is geospatialschool.com. And right now I have five courses on there. Most of them, four of them are QGIS related. And so we basically have a QGIS beginners course, some more advanced remote sensing with QGIS, and then a couple that are focused on using Python with QGIS. So Python scripting and Python plugin development. And the final one is a, a web maps with Mapbox course. And so I've had these courses, some of these, my first one was the, was the QGIS Python plugin development. And that's been probably on three or four different websites until I finally decided that it was best to just start my own website and put my courses there. But, you know, these courses, I, I get traffic to these from my YouTube channel, from my website, and people who are interested in a, a more in-depth experience with data provided and, you know, step-by-step -step walkthroughs of a lot of different topics. That's kind of who the, the target audience is for these courses. And so the, the revenue from these varies a little more from year to year and from marketing campaign to marketing campaign. But, you know, probably on average, you know, around $200 a month coming from those courses. Is that like uh, YouTube and your website? That seems relatively passive, but I could imagine that a course might be more involved. Like are people asking questions? Uh, do you have to reach out and help them along? How much are you working for that $200 a month? So I've designed this to be passive. And there's a couple of reasons for that. So one, I found out early on that if you're offering your assistance on courses, it can take up a lot of time. And I want these courses to be priced to the point where almost anyone can have access to them and it's not going to be a huge financial burden. You know, I think this is important material. And so I want a lot of people to be able to access these courses. The most expensive thing in those courses is my time. And so, you know, I kind of have the disclaimer I try to get it up front. It's in my terms and conditions that there's, you know, no, no guaranteed support with these courses. And the reason for that is so that I can keep the price low and, and make it available to others. You know, it's one thing I've considered is, is having some other options for course purchase that are more in person and have more help available and maybe office hours or tutoring sessions included with those. But I haven't implemented that with my courses yet. Okay, so whew, thank you very much. We've got these these three things, like side hustles, if you will. We've got YouTube, we've got 
your open source options website, and then you've got uh, geospatial schools. So each of them is doing something slightly different. How do you pick your topics? And I want to start with YouTube. How do you pick a topic for YouTube? And like, how do you know it's worth making that video? There's a few different ways I come to this. Like I described as lately, I've been writing a website article and then going to YouTube to make the video. And kind of my strategy is to find those content gaps that are out there. And that can either be producing content that doesn't exist yet. There's a question that someone might have and there's, there's not an answer for it or not a complete answer for it. Or finding those questions and realizing that I can make much better and much more thorough content than already exists. So one of my first videos was how to make a pie chart in C++. I needed to make it for one of my projects at the university, and I couldn't find anything anywhere online that described how to do it. And so I figured it out and made a YouTube video about it and posted it uh, with no expectation as to views. And I was surprised because it turned out a lot of other people were interested in that. And as soon as I posted the video, it started getting traffic. So I spent a lot of time just thinking of, of questions or as I go through some of my tasks, with work, I have questions and realizing those content gaps that are out there and, and addressing those in my content. So the, this is the same for YouTube and, and the website, it sounds like. What about the courses? How do you know what courses to make? Is this based on like what content's working well for you on either the website or the YouTube channel, or is there something else there? Yeah, and so the course content is really what's getting the most traffic on the website and on YouTube. And also, there's, there's kind of, there has to be two components for a course. One, there has to be traffic to related content. And two, there has to be room to expand it. So some of my most viewed videos are working with Anaconda and Visual Studio Code or installing, you know, GDAL with PIP or things like that. And those aren't really topics that you can go and create a four to 10 hour course on. Uh, there is just not the material there. They're kind of small pieces of other courses. So you really need to have that ability to expand and produce a lot of value with the course. Okay. But you, you might, for example, see like um, you've got five or six videos, five or six articles that have something to do with, with Python and QJS that, that are doing really well. And there's plenty of room for expansion then and, and say, well, okay, I've got these people are, are coming to this, to, to my website, to my YouTube channel, looking for answers and these things here. I could potentially make a course about that and funnel that traffic from both those sources over to my, my other website in the hope that they will buy a course from me. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's kind of how the first course started, the QGIS Python plugin development is I, you know, I spent some time figuring out how to make QGIS Python plugins, made a YouTube video about it. It got a lot of traffic. I made a course with even more information and more code describing how to do more tasks with those plugins. And a lot of traffic came over from YouTube to get that information. These are things that you made yourself. So you made your own YouTube channel, you made your own website, open source options, and now you've made your own website, like Geospatial School. Why not put these courses, for example, on something like Udemy? There's a whole bunch of people and they already know they're at Udemy already looking for courses to buy. Why not like use one of an existing platform for your course material? I've had my courses on Udemy. That's how I started out. And Udemy is all about making money for them. And they reserve the right to list your prices at, at any point they want. So they can change the price. They can put them on sale at any time they want. 
the only way that you make the full purchase price of course is if you refer people to Udemy with a personalized link, which just brings more traffic to Udemy. It does bring more traffic to the course, but they want more traffic to Udemy. If they sell your courses through any other means, so through any of their marketing efforts, at best, you're making 50% of the course value. And often I was making, you know, only 20, 10, 20% of what the course actually sold for. So after being on Udemy, I, I tried Teachable also, but I tried a couple of other Udemy-like platforms and just was not pleased with the revenue share or the cost to host my courses there. And so I moved them over initially to opensourceoptions.com. So the first couple of months after moving from Udemy to opensourceoptions.com, I think I sold one quarter to half as many classes, but I made over twice as much money because I was able to control the prices and I was able to keep the whole revenue share. So that was a really, that's really what prompted me to go to geospatial school was that I can move it away from my blog and hopefully start to create a course website for geospatial learning that could benefit both creators and learners. One other thing I didn't like with Udemy is I think people are, are happy about this lifetime access. When you buy a course, you get lifetime access. But the thing that I realized looking through courses on there is that what that does is it doesn't incentivize creators to update their courses because once you have access, you have access and there's, there's no reason for them to update. And so you always have access to the course, but after a year, you have lifetime access to old and outdated content. Yeah, I, I can see that. I can also understand like wanting to make something that you're proud of. Like when people show up and they buy it, you know that it's, it's up to date, that it's accurate and it's good, you know, especially if your name is on the box. I, I totally, totally get that. So we talked a little bit about like the, the kinds of things you, you might want to make a course around. And, and we said, okay, well, you can look at things that are getting traffic, things that are, you know, people are searching for, answers that people want and try and bundle them together maybe and see if there's a bigger, broader topic here that you could go in more depth with and, and make a course around. What kinds of things will people pay for? I guess is another question because people might want more information around you know, QGIS with Python, for example. But how, how do you know that they're going to pay for that? Like, is there something that you're looking for when you make a course? Is it like a, a specific outcome that you're looking for? Is it certain skill sets that, that you target? I'm just curious, like what, what your thought process is around that. How do you know that people are going to pay for your courses? What, what are you looking for when you make a course? You don't know that people are going to pay for your courses. That's a lot of the uncertainty. There's a lot of information out there. And especially when it comes to GIS, there's actually a lot of free information out there. And so there's, there's really no way to know upfront what to expect. And that's why I try to build these around my most popular or most viewed topics is because just by the rule of numbers, I guess, if there's a lot of people looking at those and seeing those on YouTube and on my website, it gives me more exposure to hopefully have at least one person or hopefully, you know, a, a number of people have interest and find value in those courses. And so I think all the listeners have a pretty good understanding of what it takes to write an article on a website, writing, we've all done this, but not everyone has made like a, a how-to video. And I, I'm guessing this is, this is obviously a big part of your YouTube channel, but it's also a big part of the courses that you create. There's video content in there. How do you record that? Like, do you have some sort of hugely expensive fancy setup or, you know, what, what kind of equipment do you use and, and how do you go about creating a, a video? 
it's really simple. You just need screen capture software and a decent microphone so people can hear what you're saying. And then, you know, you record your screen and describe what to do. I guess from my experience, there are a lot of different levels of quality, though. And you have to remember that when you're doing this, you're a teacher, right? You have to teach someone how to do this. It's a topic you know very well. But if you go through it too quickly, you know, sure, maybe the students will get the code and be able to to reproduce it there. But I really like to focus on teaching them why we're doing what we're doing so they can take, you know, the examples I'm using in my courses or in my video tutorials, and they can have the information to apply that to solve their own problems. Yeah. So, so you mentioned this, and I think it's really important, this idea that there's lots of different levels of quality, shall we say, on YouTube. And sometimes it's really high. Is that not intimidating for you? Like, you know, some, some of these entertainers, I guess we could call them on YouTube, are amazing. How do you compete with that? Oh, man, yeah, it, it is really intimidating. And I'll be the first to admit, like from a production standpoint, as far as, you know, having a lot of entertainment value in my videos, I don't really shoot for that. The way I view it is that I don't need to compete with these entertainers as far as having top of the line 4K video with slide in captions and figures like that. I just need to be able to teach people. I need to prove produce the best content for the purpose. And that might not be having stunning visual effects, but it's going to be giving people the information they need in a way that they can easily understand it and they can take what they've learned and apply it in new situations. And so as I try to focus on that, then I feel a lot less intimidated because a lot of these videos, they might have that high production quality as far as being visually pleasing, but they still can be empty in the information that they teach. So can you give us some sort of hints, tips, tricks, whatever about making a good video? So you talked about the, this you know, teaching, making sure the students understand and, and get the point that you, you're there to be an educator. What are some tips? Like, well, or I guess maybe, maybe a better way of, saying, of asking this is, what do you see people doing wrong when they either create these educational videos, how-to videos, or build courses in terms of their, their video? content so maybe it's not i don't know if i'd say doing it wrong necessarily but i think some things that can can help give your your viewers and students a better experience and help them learn there's a couple of things i do and one is something i've always done if i have an error when i'm writing code i leave that in the video i show the students how i troubleshoot that error or show them what the error is now i do try to minimize the errors because if I was recording myself developing something for the first time, it would take two hours to make a, a five minute movie because there'd be so many errors. So I try to cut that out, but in, invariably you're going to make errors in some of those videos. I leave it in to help students understand debugging. The second thing is I go to the documentation in my videos quite frequently. I'll go pull up the documentation website and show students what the documentation for a function or a Python package or QGIS looks like, so they can get familiar with that documentation. And if there's something I haven't covered or an application I haven't covered, they know where to go look and how to understand those documents. Is this completely scripted? Like, obviously you've prepared for it, but have you scripted it out word for word? I'm going to say this, I'm going to you know, do this kind of thing. No, I don't, I don't perform well in that environment. I know there are some people who will script all this out and they, they do a great job. It's too much for me. It's too much to think about in a lot of ways. And it takes too much preparation time for me. 
you know, I prepare to have a more, a more natural presentation and kind of go, go with things as they come. And are you standing in front of the camera? Is it like a, a full image of you teaching in front of a whiteboard or, or what kind of style is this? So I don't think there's any video of me on my YouTube channel. So far, it's been just recording my screen, partly because it's simpler that way, but also partly because I haven't found a, a great way I'm pleased with to present myself as well. But I, I also think it's something that I, I want to do moving forward, mostly with my courses, probably not with YouTube as much, just to give people more of a feel for who I am and, and get to know me as their instructor a little more. Yeah, I could, I could definitely see this being as a, you know, a really valuable tool for cre- creating that connection. So I'm thinking about this, and um, you said this before yourself, there is a lot of content out there. A problem isn't, for the most part, that we, that we lack content. The problem is sort of filtering through it. So if I was thinking about getting into this, like if you said to me, this is a great thing, Daniel, you should get into this sort of online courses, uh, content creation, you know, you can make money in the same way I'm doing. I would look at this and my pushback would be, well, there's so much already, right? There's, there's no shortage of online courses, no shortage of online content. How am I going to stand out in that sea? What would you say to people that push back in, in that manner? I would say that there's always going to be a need for good content and for quality teachers. There, like, there is a lot of content out there. If you program, if you do GIS, think back to when you were new to doing those things. What was the hardest part about getting started? And for me, it was learning those things on my own and learning how to understand the documentation for programming languages, programming packages, APIs, and GIS software. It's a steep learning curve to really understand that documentation and understand the way of thinking as far as how to perform certain tasks. And that's something that's gained by experience. You have to apply it. And someone who's starting out hasn't applied those things enough to have a lot of experience to know how to apply them in different situations. And I think that's where this teaching really comes in is, like I said, there's a lot of content out there. I feel like not a lot of it is good content as far as the quality of the teaching goes. And so just recognizing that your experience is valuable. And if you can find a way to convey that experience to people who are just getting started, you can save them a lot of time by helping them understand the documentation more fully and demonstrating how these tools and concepts are applied to real world problems. I really appreciate that. I think that that's, that's a really good insight. And I mean, we've all read that blog post. We've all watched that video that's really helped us, right? That's been a really simple task for an expert. Someone already has the experience, but for us, when we started out or we're, we're doing something for the first time, it was a massive help to be able to see someone demonstrate step-by-step, step, this is how you, you solve this problem. This is how you do this thing. And w- whether that's in written format or videos. So I'm totally aligned w- with what you just said there. But you also focused on beginners. Is there room in this kind of content creation world, course creation world, where you focus on experts? You know, I think there probably is. One thing you have to remember that as you get into more specific analyses and more specific topics, that the, your, your, your potential customer base really shrinks. And so if I'm limiting a course to how something like how to analyze precipitation in the country of, of Canada, there's going to be very few people who are interested in analyzing precipitation in Canada. If I break that out to a larger course that is 
how to read and analyze NetCDF data in Python, which NetCDFs are a format that most climatological data are available in, then I've expanded, you know, I've expanded my, my potential customer base. And so I, I think there's that, there's a fine line between finding something new and innovative that, that experts are going to be interested in while not having a potential customer base so small that you just don't get enough traffic to the course to make any money. I would imagine though, like the more specific you were, okay, I'm solving this problem for this very specific person. I would imagine that you could also up the price accordingly, because now we're, we're into not beginner level anymore. People are expecting a much more specialized kind of knowledge and perhaps therefore are willing to pay more for it. Yeah, definitely. And, and one thing I've done is sometimes I get requests for specific courses or how to do specific things. And I just know from the beginning that it's not going to be applicable to, to a wide range of people. And in some of those cases, I just offer my services for, you know, tutoring basically at a price that's higher than, than they'd pay for a course because I know it's just going to be maybe applicable only to them. We've talked a lot about courses and, and the video side of things. And again, because I think it's, most people are comfortable with the idea of creating written content. And this is why I'm choosing to focus on this. How long does it take you to make a course? How long does it take you to make one of these videos? Um, so a YouTube video, if I've already written a blog post about it, you know, a 10 minute YouTube video might take me 20 minutes where I spend, you know, basically 10 minutes recording, watch through it on, you know, one and a half speed so that I can get through it quick, make sure there aren't any issues in the video, then upload it to YouTube and, and provide the description and things. So it can be, be pretty quick for a YouTube video. A course is much more involved. You have to string together a lot of different ideas and make sure they, they relate to each other in a logical manner. So, you know, a YouTube video, a lot of my videos are 10 minutes to half an hour. My courses are all over four hours long. Four, that's four hours of, of video instruction. And so you can imagine that there's a, just a lot of time. I mean, that, that's four hours, four and a half hours minimum to record those courses. You know, it's going to be another two hours to watch through every lecture and make sure that that everything's there it needs to be and I haven't skipped anything and the video quality and audio quality are good. And then I have to serve those videos myself. So upload them to my, you know, my video hosting, get them embedded in the website, add all the code to the website. And that's just as far as making the content. Conceptualizing the content often takes at least that long. And then I have to go through and set up all the payment options once that's up there. And that takes also a couple of hours. And so it really varies depending on the topic, but for a five-hour course, it'd probably take me a full 40 hours of work on the order of 40 hours of work to create a five-hour long course. Wow. Okay. So you could create a significant number of YouTube videos, uh, written tutorials in the same time it takes you to create a course. So my question then is, why bother with the courses? Why not just focus on this, these other things? They're, they're working as well. Yes, they are. But one course sell is more than I'll make on a YouTube video in a month. So if I can sell those courses at scale, it's a lot more money. And I also feel like it gives a lot more value than YouTube videos. I feel like there's that niche there that needs to be filled. A lot of people do YouTube because like I said, the risk is low, the time investment is low, but it leaves this kind of dearth of knowledge in these more cohesive courses and more cohesive descriptions in geospatial. Would it be fair to say that you see more potential in the course side of your side hustle than in the other businesses or the, the other pieces to it? Yes, there's, I think there's a lot of potential there, 
But the trick is, is there's also more risk there and it takes a, a much bigger time investment. And also as far as we talk infrastructure, as far as website, it takes a much larger investment in website infrastructure to be able to produce and host those courses. It seems to me some of the risk anyway is mitigated, at least in my mind, because of YouTube and because of this other website. Yeah. You know, because you own, to some extent anyway, the traffic sources coming to your website. Yes, that's true. I have a lot of organic traffic and through the years I've built up authority in those topics, I've kind of, you know, you could say if I keep up, I've kind of cornered a little, a little piece of the traffic in some of those topics. But, you know, you can always overcome that if you're willing to use marketing and pay for marketing, which I haven't done a lot of. Okay. So all of your marketing up until this point has been organic. It's been through like ranking for for these specific terms in search and winning traffic that way. Yep, exactly. It's, I don't think I've had any paid marketing campaigns uh, at all. When I, when I was on Udemy, Udemy obviously markets their courses, but on my own, it's been all organic through, like you said, through, through search, through YouTube suggestions or you know, through my own email list. How long did it take you to, like, we're all still learning things. I I understand that. But how long did it take you to sort of conceive all of this, you know, to to figure out how this might work together to create the the side hustle? Like, how long did it take you to understand, oh, YouTube, for example, if I do this, then I can make money through ads. Oh, this this could also work on my website. Yeah, my my guess is you didn't wake up one morning and say, I need three websites. They're going to work together like this and produce this amount of money, you know, every month. It's taken, man, I think I started YouTube in 2014 and I'm still learning things about it. There's still no surefire way to know which video is going to perform and which one isn't. Sometimes you have an idea. Sometimes you think you have an idea and you don't. You know, I kind of explained my, my journey with the course website. I'm still figuring things out. You, you make it sound in some ways like I've got it all figured out and I don't know that I do. I think this is, you know, the most current and the best iteration that's built upon the knowledge I've had. And I think you just always have to be learning and always be willing to adapt. Yeah, that, I mean, I can, I can appreciate that like through my own um, adventures in, in the online world. Where do you want to take this? So we've, we've been talking about this as a side hustle. It's making like, what I think like roughly, what, what do we work out? Maybe like $1,300, $1,400 every month on average. I'm guessing that goes up and down, fluctuates a little bit throughout the year. Do you just want to keep this as a side hustle? Do you want to grow it to something else? Like what, what's next for? With this i'd like to grow this i think there's a lot of potential there i what's driving me here is i really like geospatial there's a lot of value in geospatial there's more and more geospatial data being produced every day in the world and there's more and more uses being found for that data and the other side of that is it's a pretty complicated discipline there's a lot of things that go into it you have to have a lot of skills to be good at geospatial you have to understand the data. You have to understand computer science. Even if you're just using a desktop application like QGIS or or ArcGIS, you need to have some programming knowledge. And, you know, we're kind of in this era of democratizing access to learning. And that's kind of where I want to help with this is, you know, you don't need to take a university course that costs thousands of dollars to be able to understand these things. You can pick all this stuff up in the documentation of the tools that are created, but that could be hard to understand. And so I'm trying to fill that gap that can help these learners who don't want to learn at university to get started into geospatial and to develop those skills. And so when you say, you know, what's my vision for this? Well, 
I talked earlier about some of the issues I had with Udemy from a, a couple of perspectives. One is a content creator. It wasn't in my best interest with my content there. And two, I thought it wasn't in my students' best interest to be learning there. And so I'm hoping that I can grow this website to include other creators and to get more students and solve some of those issues with Udemy and make this kind of be a, you know, a geospatial course marketplace, like the Udemy for, for geospatial, I guess you could say. Obviously, it's, it's, it's not there yet, but I hope that I can get things built out to that. Man, uh, so this is something I would love to be involved with. If you ever need any help, let me know. I, I would love to help out. I, I think this sounds like a, it's a pretty big vision you've got there, and it sounds fantastic. So, yeah, I'm just throwing my hat in the ring. <laughs> I realize you've done amazingly well by yourself up until now, but if you need help, like, let me know. I, I would love to, to contribute in some way, shape, or form. Noted. Conrad, th- thanks very much for taking the time to talk with me. Like I said at the start, I, I've wanted to create an episode like this with someone like you for quite some time. Like you, I see a ton of potential here. Like you, I've been you know, working in, in the online world for a couple of years now, and it's been a pretty interesting journey. And I don't think for a second it's for everyone, but I think that it could be for a, a lot of people. Yeah, it, it, so I really hope this episode has helped sort of open people's eyes to what's possible. No one's saying like this is a get rich quick thing or easy, but I think you've got a long way to like walking us through how you started, how you create these things, how it makes money for you, and perhaps how how someone else could look at this as as a recipe and and follow along. So I really appreciate that. We've mentioned the names of your different websites and YouTube channel a couple of times, but could you just do it again for us, please? So we could know where to reach out to you and, and follow along. Absolutely. So opensourceoptions.com is kind of my main website with a blog with articles. Open Source Options is the YouTube channel. Geospatialschool.com is where the courses are hosted. Thanks again, Conrad. Let's, uh, let's keep in touch. Absolutely. So I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Conrad Hathen. There'll be a bunch of links in the show notes of this episode today. Please check them out. You'll find links to Conrad's YouTube channel, both of his websites. So this is Open Source Options and Geospatial School. You'll also find a link where you can sign up to a free webinar that Conrad and I will run. So if you're interested in creating geospatial content online, sign up. Like I mentioned at the start of this episode, this is an experiment. We haven't tried this before, but we would like to try it with you. If we get enough interest, we'll run the webinar. So please check out the show notes of this episode. Okay, that's it for me. That's it for this episode of the Bapscaping Podcast. I'll be back again soon with a new episode. I hope that you'll take the time to tune in then.